the middle child and the first daughter in my family, and we were primarily raised by my mom long before my biological dad physically moved out. Both of my parents were raised by fathers who suffered from alcoholism, and one of my siblings struggled with drug use in his late teens before setting himself on the straight and narrow. Fortunately, he did so before he had much to lose. I know that having a sibling who struggles with substance abuse can be a bit of a tumultuous experience. As you learn that their actions aren't always a reflection of who they are at their core, but that addiction can speak so much more loudly than the sibling you grew up with and the one you came to know. The last time that 21-year-old Larissa Lonehill was seen by her family was on October 2nd, 2016. Larissa was at her mother Lisa's house talking with her about her most recent spat with her older sister Carol. Now, whenever Larissa was in Rapid City, she stayed with Carol in her rented townhome, but just a few weeks prior this time, Carol had told Larissa that she couldn't stay there anymore. Larissa was at her mother Lisa's house talking with her about her most recent spat with her older sister Carol. Whenever Lisa was in Rapid City, she stayed with Carol in in the rented townhouse that she had, but just a few weeks ago, Carol had told Larissa that she couldn't stay there anymore. On that day that Lisa was talking to Larissa, Lisa asked her daughter to just not do again whatever she had done to upset her sister. And it's unclear as to whether or not Lisa knew at the time that Carol had asked her to leave because she suspected Larissa was using meth again in her townhome bathroom, and her brother had also allegedly caught her smoking meth there as well. Just days earlier, Carol was encouraging her to go get help for her substance abuse. And when Larissa left her mother's that October afternoon, she did so with her boyfriend, whose name is unknown to the public, as well as with another friend of hers who, again, we don't know the name of. They were headed to Rushmore Mall. Just about every source out there talks about how Larissa knew in that moment that she should have hugged her daughter, though she didn't know why. She'd said at the time that it felt like it could be the last time that she would see Larissa. But Lisa wasn't yet aware that her horrendous feeling would be accurate. If you're listening to this around release day, then happy new year. Welcome to 2023. You made it. If you're not sure what the hell you're doing or where to turn next, then you know you can always book a private reading with me on my website, katherineannintuitive.com. Use code LOVEMYSELF for 20% off of all 30, 45, and 60-minute readings. Also, with the new year finally here, I'm starting something new Sorry for being cheesy. A lot of you have expressed interest in private coaching, but you aren't sure you're ready for the commitment. Well, at the end of this month, for only $40, I'll be hosting the first online workshop of the year. This specific workshop will be focused on what's missing from your manifestations so that you can focus on calling in exactly what it is that you desire, whether this is in relation to love, money, health, clarity, abundance of anything, literally whatever it is, we're going to learn how to focus on calling it in as desired. Because too many people make super common mistakes when manifesting that I would love to help you correct so that you can have not only the best year ever, 
but the best life you can imagine within a few tweaks, with just a few tweaks to your manifesting practice. And when I first got into manifesting, I absolutely thought it was a line of garbage, to be completely honest, until I learned a little bit more about it. And I've been able to manifest some pretty incredible things from the house that we're living in to an extra $8,000 to pay our car off a couple years early to orders staying, uh, military orders to staying in this area. I mean, even a couple hundred dollars monthly when I wasn't really working very much over the summer, I would manifest another check every couple of weeks just to kind of get us by and get us through without damaging ourselves at all. So when I say that manifestation, that there's a trick to it, there absolutely is. And it's not difficult, but I would be so happy to be able to teach this to you. So with all of that said, let's get back to why we're here in the first place. And that's talking about Larissa Lonehill. Larissa grew up in Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, and while Pine Ridge Reservation is one of the largest reservations in the United States, it also has a much greater lack of resources than most other reservations. She attended high school in Pine Ridge where 35% of the high school population drops out, and that's exactly what Larissa did before graduating. Larissa became a mom around 19 years of age, and while she was absolutely beyond overjoyed to be a mom to her sweet daughter, she was also struggling with drug addiction. Because of this, her young daughter was in the custody of the father's family. But don't let that make you think that Larissa was an absent mother. Not by any means. No matter where she was in relation to her daughter, she made sure to visit her frequently. By all accounts, Larissa was known to hitch rides and even walk miles upon miles to get to her daughter for a visit. It sounds like she loved that little girl more than anything else in the entire world. Larissa eventually moved off of the reservation to the city of Rapid City, where she lived with her sister, Carol, for a little while. Now, Carol was one of Larissa's seven siblings. Larissa was sibling number six in the lineup. On the morning of October 3rd, she was texting one of her cousins about two men from the reservation that she was with and told her that they were going to a party. Now, days later, after being unable to get a hold of Larissa, her boyfriend got in contact with one of the four brothers and told them what was going on. And her brother immediately reported her missing to Rapid City Police Department. Now, according to Lisa, the two men had come to Larissa's boyfriend's home and she left with them. She had told her boyfriend that one of the men was her cousin. And I'm sure you all know already that that maybe wasn't so true. Eerily enough, neither of these two men were related to her at all. While police took the report, they didn't publicize the case at all until six months had gone by. Six months after the report is filed, law enforcement stated that this is because they have information that they're keeping close to their chest to maintain the integrity of the case. But we kind of know what happens with these MMIW cases and how sometimes law enforcement just isn't doing their job and they're just peddling excuses. So it's hard to know exactly which is happening here. We do know that the two men she was with, while they are not publicly known, they have been questioned and have not been named persons of interest. Again, at least not publicly. One of the men actually denied having ever even been with Larissa, while the other claims to have dropped her off at a party. I'd be interested to know what each one has to say about the other, but it seems that they were the last ones to see her. 
In an article published in the Rapid City Journal, Carol talked about how she believed Larissa's relationship with those men was drug-related, as many of her relationships were. I think most would probably assume this, but I also get that feeling that these men were strictly around for drug use and getting in touch with drugs. However, asking Larissa to leave certainly hadn't been easy for Carol. For one, that's her sister, and she wanted to see Larissa get help for her problems with drugs and even asked her and encouraged her to find counseling for her substance abuse problem. Larissa was also super helpful to Carol with with Carol's children and around the house in general, just helping out with chores and and things of that nature. She spent a lot of time with Carol's kids too, as she wasn't working at the time. Lisa found more cause for concern though, that while Larissa wasn't working, she still seemed to have money to spend. Larissa's boyfriend has also been questioned. We don't know the outcome of the questioning of the two men, the two unidentified men, or of what happened with her boyfriend. However, I really don't feel that the boyfriend had anything to do with this. Um, That's just my two cents. Take it or leave it, I suppose. Law enforcement isn't sharing anything about the outcome of these interrogations or inquisitions or whatever. I think what's maddening here, though, is like I said before, it's truly impossible to know if they're keeping information close or if they're simply not any more knowledgeable about what happened than anyone else is. It's hard to say if they're putting forth due diligence or not. And one thing they have come out publicly with, though, is that they suspect that she is in fact deceased and that her body is likely within a 100 mile radius of Rapid City. However, they haven't changed her case status from missing to homicide for whatever reason, and the public has no idea what would drive law enforcement to the conclusion that she was likely deceased. Now, Tribal Police Chief Mark Mesteth was in charge at the time of Larissa's disappearance, and he actually resigned in April of 2017. This is just about six months after Larissa's disappearance. And he resigned after receiving a vote of no confidence from the tribal council. They literally did not believe that he was capable of or doing his job whatsoever. And so he was kind of forced to resign. So from the time that she disappeared in October of 2018, In 2016 to October of 2018, about a two-year span there, the tribal police force went from 24 officers to 54, which is something that the article seems to imply would have been more helpful at the time of her disappearance to have more like boots on the ground, so to speak. But if she went missing from Rapid City, that jurisdiction would have been with the Rapid City Police Department anyway, which gets confusing, right? Because and we've talked about this in other MMIW cases, but If you have a Native American go missing from the reservation, then that falls under tribal police jurisdiction. If they go missing out in like the city of Rapid City, that is obviously Rapid City Police Department's jurisdiction. But then it comes into play as well. Like, where did they go missing from? Who is responsible in the crime? Is it a non-Native or a Native? When the crime was committed, there are so many small things that play into who takes jurisdiction of this. And there can often kind of be like 
this back and forth of of who's going to be responsible for it, which has got to be really frustrating. And then you get the FBI involved, state police. It all depends on where and who is involved. Multiple agencies have since become involved in the investigation, though, and that includes the Pennington County Sheriff's Office, uh, the Tribal Police, the FBI, the South Dakota National Guard Aviation Unit. So they did do air searches, and the Coddington County Search and Rescue Canine Team have all been involved or currently involved in the search for Larissa. But over six years have gone by and still no suspects, let alone persons of interest, have been named, let alone any arrests made. According to the 2020 census, Indigenous people account for a whopping 65% of South Dakota's missing persons, yet they are only 9% of the state's total population. This is to say they account for 65% of South Dakota's missing persons. But there's a lot of statistics that kind of show that um, when indigenous people go missing, they're not always labeled as indigenous. Sometimes they're labeled as Hispanic or even as white. And that could mean that that number has the potential to be even higher. But just over half of those who are missing are female. I honestly thought that that number would be higher, that it would be skewed even more, that female were like 70 or 80% of those missing. That kind of surprised me a little bit. At the time of Larissa's disappearance, she had a brother in an alcohol treatment program, another brother in jail on Pine Ridge Reservation, and a sister in jail there as well. Just three weeks after her disappearance, one of her brothers, Lisa's second son, passed away from illness. Lisa herself suffers from chronic stomach pain that Larissa used to help her manage. To make matters even worse, after her disappearance, Larissa's family received multiple unverified pieces of information about where Larissa could be found. One man claimed that he needed $500 to help bring Larissa back from Florida, and he was unsuccessful in this extortion attempt, but he was not the only one to try to extort the family. Larissa's sister, Carol, has unfortunately since passed away as well, and no family should have to endure this level of sadness, grief, and trauma. While an incredible number of leads have been investigated, they seem to have all been dead ends. And I'm going to leave you with these words from an article entitled, When MMIW Becomes More Than a Hashtag. And this is written by Larissa's cousin, Dana Lonehill. I highly recommend reading this article in its entirety, which will, of course, be in the show notes because the way that she describes her family, where they come from and how they acquired the name Lone Hill, it's just so profound. And and I really think it adds a lot to this, but you need to read it in her words, not my paraphrased words. So Dana Lone Hill had said, like every Native woman, I am always shocked when another sister is taken, goes missing, is murdered and raped. It's been happening as far back as Columbus for the women and girls of these beautiful lands in the Western Hemisphere as soon as Columbus set foot. Our most powerful women from history's tragic lives spun into romanticized tales of Disney films and versions of stories often portrayed by white women with painted skin. Just let that sit in with you for a moment. Dana and her sisters have a campaign on Facebook, which I will also link in the show notes, where they auction off artwork donated by Indigenous artists to raise money for Larissa's reward fund. The FBI has a $5,000 reward available for all information that for any information that leads to the discovery of even Larissa's body. It's not even for information that leads to a conviction how the standard has been relaxed because they just so badly want to find her. 
All information for donations will also be in the show notes. If this story tugs at your heart, knowing that this girl who was doing her best at life, who wanted to be a vet or a doctor or do anything she could to really help other people, if this tugs at your heart at all, then please share it. Amplify the story of the reality of the lives of these people who are suffering and craving to know what happened to their sister. Thank you for listening to Murder and Mediumship.